Church, it's good to be with you this morning as God's gathered people and so excited to dive in to the story of redemption with you. So before we do that, it's appropriate to bring this before the Lord. Father, we are grateful for the chance to gather together. We are grateful for the redemption that is found in your son Jesus alone. As we look at your word, may we love you more deeply. May we trust you more deeply this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It just seemed like a good thing to do. Brian Tomey, a pastor in Cincinnati, recently said those words. His congregation had uh, collected an offering, and in doing so, was able to pay off $46 million worth of medical debt for people in their community. One couple, helped by that effort, had been paying off an emergency room bill for 18 years. Now their debt was gone, wiped out, paid in full. At that effort, they said it gives an amazing boost to our life. I love hearing stories like that of complete generosity, redeeming people out of some really bad situations. And this morning, as we look at a story of redemption in the Bible, my hope and prayer is that God would capture our heart with the redemption that is found in Jesus alone. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series, Seeing the Savior in All of Scripture, from the last chapter of the book of Ruth, Ruth 4. And as you have already discovered, as you flipped there, Ruth is found in the Old Testament, squeezed right in between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. A small little four-chapter book, but with a powerful story of redemption. Now, the placement of the book of Ruth is significant to us this morning. It's not something to gloss over quickly. It gives us key context for the book, and even the placement of it gives us a purpose for the book. We see this in the first verse of the first chapter of Ruth. It says this, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, if you know anything about this point of time in Israel's history, you know it was a tumultuous time. There was a cycle of violence, of disobedience, of rejection of God that was ongoing for Israel. And the book of Judges, which precedes Ruth, is a book of Israel's total failure before God. Yet, it is in this terrible time that we enter into the book of Ruth. And we only almost immediately meet two of our main characters, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. We quickly learn in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that both Naomi's husband and her sons have died. That leaves Ruth and Naomi both as widows. Now, being a, good, being a widow was not a good place to be in ancient Israel. Not only would that have left them brokenhearted, of course, but it left them poor and without property. Ruth, in particular, would have had no children to her name. It was a bad place to be. And in the midst of this tragedy and subsequent poverty, we meet the third character in the book of Ruth, Boaz. And in the first three chapters leading us up to chapter four, where we'll be spending our time, we encounter Boaz dealing kindly with Ruth providing food and refuge and protection. 
So at this point, leading us to chapter 4, Ruth and Naomi have their physical needs taken care of. They have food that Boaz provides from his field, protection in their vulnerable state. Yet, their lot in life has not changed. They are still widows in a time and culture where that was not a great place to be. So what do Ruth and Naomi need more than anything? They need complete redemption. Now, the law of Moses that we find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy recognizes this exact reality. God gave Israel's laws to make sure that widows wouldn't be stuck in this place forever along with a number of other reasons. And the book of Ruth actually combines two of these laws, but the basis of these laws and what our story of redemption revolves around this morning is the idea of a kinsman redeemer. We find that law in Deuteronomy 25. It involves a childless widow marrying her husband's brother, providing an heir for the dead husband. And the other law we see represented is in Leviticus 25, which calls for property to be redeemed so that it would not remain outside of the family forever. These are mechanisms of sorts for redemption. So as we move along in meeting Boaz, uh, we find out that he's a close relative. He's one of these redeemers. Find that out in chapter 2. So now that we have this context, we can move in to chapter 4 together. We're going to see this redemption play out in three different ways, which will serve as our three points this morning. Uncertain redemption, verses 1 through 6. Unimpeachable redemption in verses 17, 7 through 16. And lastly, unending redemption in verses 17 through 22. First, we see an uncertain redemption. In chapters 2 and 3, we see that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz know that he qualifies as this kinsman redeemer, someone that can redeem them out of this really bad situation. But at the end of chapter 3, we're told that Boaz actually knows of another closer redeemer who is not Boaz. The start of chapter 4, we see this again. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So we find Boaz and this other closer redeemer at the gate, a place where decisions are made and, and become final. Now this other redeemer has the possibility of changing everything. It leaves our main characters in a state of uncertainty. Will this other kinsman refuse his right? Will Ruth, Naomi be stuck in this state forever? Will they ever be redeemed? The uncertainty seems to grow even more as Boaz offers the other redeemer the opportunity to redeem Naomi and Ruth in verse 4. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but as I was studying and reading this portion of the text, each time I find my heart beating a little faster. Whoa, Boaz, my man. We don't know anything about this dude. Is he a good guy? Does he fear Yahweh? Will he provide food and protection like you have? Boaz, you know, I'm not sure calling this guy over here was such a good idea. Well, the other redeemer in verse 4 says, I will redeem it. And with this statement, the matter seems settled. Right? 
Because Boaz then informs this other redeemer that actually there's more to it than just buying the plot of land that was part of Elimelech's, um, that was Naomi's. Ruth is a part of the transaction, right? That's the heart of the matter. In verse 5, the day that you, you buy the field from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead. Immediately, the other redeemer says, I cannot redeem it. Apparently, he's so worried about his own inheritance that he won't redeem Naomi and Ruth. And here, the situation reaches a climax. The uncertainty reaches a climax. How is this going to end up? What is going to become of Ruth and Naomi? Will they be stuck in this state forever? I wonder if you've ever been in a situation similar to this, where the unknown or the uncertain is almost unbearable. In 2003, or 2003, I'd be really young, 2013, I had the privilege to serve in East Africa for six months. My ministry was to serve missionary families by going ahead of them to build housing so that when they enter into a people group, they can learn language and culture, build relationships without having to worry about finding housing or, or building their own. One such team of missionaries that we served in this way were getting ready to minister on a small island off the coast of Madagascar. So we were preparing their housing deep in the jungle of this island. We had been there for a couple weeks working when one of the local craftsmen asked us if he could borrow our four-wheeler to go and get some supplies. I said, yeah, sure, you know what? That's not a problem. And church, that was a problem. We didn't see our local friend or our four-wheeler for hours. And as the hours passed, darkness descended, it began to rain, and the bats came out. I really, really hate bats really. We couldn't stay there. We were building a house, one that had yet to have a roof put on. So what now? Am I going to be able to get out of this one? Thousands of miles from home, miles from even the nearest village, I am not sure what's going to happen. I wonder if we can extrapolate this kind of uncertainty out to our spiritual lives. I wonder if you have ever thought, is God going to be able to do what he said he was going to do? Will God meet me in the loneliness of a pandemic? Will God be able to redeem my broken relationships with my family? Where is this joy that I was promised as a Christ follower? I think those uncertainties and doubts and questions are something many of us have this morning, certainly something many of us have had over the past year. And yet when those questions come and the uncertainty is more than you can bear, I would implore you to run to a God who is a promise-keeping God. As we move in the book of Ruth from an uncertain redemption into unimpeachable redemption, I hope you see that God in Christ has left nothing uncertain for those who turn their allegiance to King Jesus. 
that any uncertainty the world might throw at us has been answered with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So let's do that now. Let's move from uncertain redemption to an unimpeachable redemption. We left Boaz in a state of uncertainty. The other redeemer said yes, and then he understands the scope of the redemption and says no way. But Boaz doesn't get left in this state of uncertainty long. In fact, pretty quickly, the other redeemer says, take my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And with the other redeemer relinquishing his rights, Boaz now can keep his promise to Ruth, made in chapter 3. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. With the rights relinquished, Boaz can now make this redemption legally binding, unimpeachable before the elders and the witnesses, and he buys or redeems Naomi's estate. Verse 9, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech. With this, Boaz keeps the land of Naomi and the family that it won't be lost forever. But then in the next verse, Boaz comes to the heart of the matter, where our entire story has been leading toward. Verse 10, also Ruth the Moabite, I have bought to be my wife. You are witnesses this day. This is a good thing. The whole story has been moving towards this moment. And evidently, the witnesses and the elders that are gathered there recognize it as much because they instantly pronounce a blessing over Boaz. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Rachel and Leah were both barren, like Ruth had been up until this point, until the Lord intervened and used them to build up his people, Israel. Next, that same, groups, that same group pronounces a blessing through a wish over Boaz that he would act worthily or act in a worthy manner. We don't have to wait long to see these things come true for Boaz in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Friends, Ruth's redemption is complete. Ruth went from no hope to a bright hope, no future to a bright future. Ruth's sorrow that we see in chapter one has now turned into great joy. The redemption has changed everything for Ruth and Naomi. And we see the fruits of that redemption immediately, and she bore a son. So what's their reaction to this redemption? What's the first thing that is said at the fruit of this redemption at the birth of this son? Well, the women with Naomi celebrate, saying, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you a day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in all of Israel. This reaction is a right and good one. Blessed be the Lord. The woman recognized that God is the author of new life. And they don't stop there. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. God did not leave Naomi and Ruth in their physical poverty. He intervened, redeeming every part of the situation in which they found themselves. I left off my story in the middle of a jungle in Madagascar. I was drowning in a sea of uncertainty, of doubt, of fear. Am I going to be able to make it out of this one? How am I ever going to make it home? Well, you may have guessed by the fact that I am standing in front of you today, I did in fact 
make it home. We started walking, and in darkness and in rain with all those bats flying around, we were prepared to walk miles to the nearest village. Soon after we started walking, we turned a corner and could see a faint light in the distance. Church, I saw the light and was saved. (laughs) Our local friend had got within minutes of where we were and had ran out of gas. We discovered him and got in the four-wheeler and made it home. And just so you know, I'm not making up this story. I think we have a picture of me uh, being thrilled to be back. My uncertainty, church, was gone. I was lost, and then we were found. Question, might this scripture have a way of informing us how we are to respond to our own redemption? Those of us who have been following Jesus for a while now, I think can have a tendency to make the divine almost mundane. For example, I so appreciate Lucas last week pointing us to John 3.16, a verse we're all so familiar with. But I wonder if us being so familiar with it, we often lose its earth-shattering, life-changing message. We have a tendency to tune some of that stuff out because we know it so well. When was the last time we gave thanks, blessing the Lord for the redemption that he has given us in his son Jesus instead of just taking it for granted? Have we confessed God as the restorer of life recently? This is a right and good habit to make, to make in light of God's mercies to us. The right response to our eternal redemption before the Father is to turn our praise and adoration back toward him. Church, not, let's not lose sight of God in the mundane and the frequent, but let's make sure we give thanks and praise and honor for the redemption that we have in him alone. Second line of application. God sustains and redeems every season of life. This redemption we're talking about is not just for the young or the physically fit. Naomi would have been anything but that. But the confession in verse 15 makes plain that God redeems all of us in every season. Ruth, who was young and barren. Naomi, who was desolate without husband or property. God is, was, and will always be the restorer of life and even the nourisher of our old age. Brothers and sisters who have been running the race of faith much longer than I stand encouraged and amazed at the one who wastes no season of life. God uses the young and the old, the frail and the strong, the rich and the poor, no season of life outside of God's plan or control. Brothers and sisters, stay faithful, on guard, persevering until he calls us home. Lastly, we move to unending redemption that we find in verses 17 through 22. I hope if I've been talking to you, and certainly if you read the book of Ruth in whole, you will catch glimpses of our Lord Jesus. We see the glimpses and the kindness extended to Boaz, from Boaz to Ruth. When Ruth could not help herself, Boaz intervened, providing food and security. In chapter 3, Boaz provides refuge to Ruth 
by spreading his wings over her, a clear embodiment of the Lord's character. We've seen glimpses of Jesus in the fullness of redemption, offered freely to Ruth and Naomi. We've seen how Boaz keeps his promise to Ruth. And if you needed any more convincing that the Savior is here in the book of Ruth, we have it now in the last part of our text. Ruth gives birth to a son. Verse 17 ends like this. They, Boaz and Ruth, named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Again, in verse 22, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, maybe some bells are going off in your mind as we connect our story with the grander narrative of Scripture and that of King David. You don't have to flip very far in your Bibles to come to 2 Samuel chapter uh, 7, where we find a promise that God gave to David, what we call the Davidic covenant. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. On this side of the cross and with the complete picture that David didn't have, we know that promise is speaking to the eternal throne that King Jesus sits on. That Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the promise from God. And Boaz and Ruth were critical to this promise being fulfilled. How do we know that? Because Boaz and Ruth are in the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember back to that question I posed you just a little bit ago? Is God able to do what he said he was going to do? The book of Ruth is a perfect example of our promise-keeping God. Even in the midst of total and utter, the utter failure of Israel going on, God was keeping his promise, intervening and making a way for his plan of redemption to continue through the line of David to our Lord Jesus. Ultimately, church, the book of Ruth points us to Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. 1 Corinthians described us as being bought for a price, the price of Jesus' blood upon the cross. Because we have been redeemed by that blood, we are now fellow heirs with Christ, Romans 9. And because of that, we have full rights and privileges before the Father. We have been redeemed to an unshakable kingdom, described in Hebrews 12. We have been taken as the bride of Christ, as described in Ephesians 5. The redemption that we have in Christ Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection is total and redeems us in every way. We are made a new creation, turned from death to life. This is great news for every single person that puts their faith and gives their life over to King Jesus. A question for you, church. What does this redemption that you have received cause you to do? What fruit does it produce in your own life? For Ruth, it meant she left everything, turned her allegiance to Yahweh, and was rewarded greatly. But what does it do for you? Does it cause you to love your neighbor instead of gossip? Does it cause you to leave everything you know and love for the sake of the gospel? Does it cause you to give instead of hoard? As the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus works itself out in your own life, in whatever way it does, my hope and prayer is that it is. Ultimately, those things should cause us to have great joy. Just like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. 
I hope in your walk with the Lord and in your faith journey, you've experienced this kind of joy I'm talking about. It should, this motivating type of joy. I was speaking at a summer camp a couple, a couple years ago and had the opportunity one night to very clearly explain to 200 high schoolers the desperateness of their situation before a holy God. That we are separated from that God, unable to reconcile or redeem ourselves. As I was talking, you could see across the room the weight of this come across some of these campers. They were crying, others visibly concerned about what their sin meant for their eternal future. And then I started to explain the good news of the gospel message. That Jesus has saved us through his life, death, and resurrection. That we have been reconciled, totally redeemed through his son, Jesus. That mood notably shifted. A peace was covering over them. These campers, you could see a joy that was swelling up. I closed by inviting those campers to put their faith, trust, and obedience in Jesus. And at that point, I was able to be a part of and see an incredible thing. I was able to see a tiny bit in a physical way, a spiritual reality that was taking place. We closed that night by singing a song called Happy Day. These campers belting it out, jumping, clapping, singing in worship to their Redeemer. Here are some of the, the lyrics they were, they were singing. The greatest day in history, death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave, life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Oh, happy day, happy day. You washed my sin away. The joy of that song and those high schoolers in that room was palpable, bursting with, with joy. There was a party in heaven and there in that chapel, that chapel at camp. Some, for the first time, experiencing the redemption only found in Christ Jesus. Maybe you are here today and you don't count yourself a follower of Jesus. But this total redemption and the joy that we are talking about sounds pretty good to you. Maybe it isn't something you've ever had or had in a very long time. Friend, there is nothing more significant than accepting the free gift of redemption offered to us through Jesus. Grab a Christian friend, get a hold of the church, find me after the service. We would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and in doing so, receive full and free redemption. Remember that story I told you at the way beginning about the massive amount of de medical debt being paid off? It's a lot of money. It's a big deal. That's a good thing. Yet how much more glorious, more life-changing, more eternally significant when our insurmountable spiritual, spiritual debt is redeemed, paid in full by Christ Jesus. Christ followers, I'll end with this. Stand firm in that. Let the unending redemption motivate you towards joy that is undeniable and unmistakable. Let's pray.